Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Melanie C., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, January 17th, 2017. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page XXIX, paragraph 4, starting with, I do not hold with those who believe, and going to be reading two paragraphs today. Today's readers are... The Twelve Steps, Janice M. The Twelve Traditions, Esther F. Reading the text today, Carmela G. and Lisa H. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, January 16th, 2017, is 9485. 9485. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Janice M. to read the 12 steps. Press star one, Janice. Good morning, everyone. My name is Janice M. And I'm a grateful recovered compulsive overeater. These are the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, pardon me, to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 
and 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Yes. Thank you, Janice M. I will now ask Esther F. to please read the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Good morning. This is Esther F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. The 12 Traditions. Number one, our common welfare has, should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse finance or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, or prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but, our, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level, level of press, radio, and film. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you so much, Esther F., how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the one that's speaking, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page XXIX, paragraph 4, which starts with, I do not hold with those who believe. We'll be reading two paragraphs, which will take us over to page XXX to include that first paragraph, and that ends with supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. And I will ask Carmela G. to begin our reading this morning. Good morning. Can I be heard? 
You can. Good morning, Carmela. Thank you. This is Carmela G. from New York, a grateful compulsive overeater recovered for today. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I have had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal which was to be settled on a certain date, favorably to them. They took a drink or so prior to that date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. There are many situations which arise out of phenomenon of craving, which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. Many times uh, we say there we have choices. When we pick up our substance, we lose all choice, we lose all common sense, we lose our freedom. That substance now owns us. No matter what the substance is, if we put it in our body, we have triggered the allergy. It now has become our master. And no matter how much we would want something, no matter how much willpower we, we thought we had, that substance has us in its grips and will keep us there and constantly remind us, I want more, I want more, pick up again, pick up again. Thankfully, when we take step one, two, three, and we work the steps and we put the substance down and we don't put that first bite in our mouth, we then have a choice to live. And the craving is not holding us prisoner. Thank you for allowing me to do service, and thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Carmela G. Who would like to comment on those two paragraphs this morning? Julie Dana R. K. Larry G. Dana K. Hi, Dana. I got you. And I have Julie and I have Larry. Harlan G. Kim Hi, G. Hi, I have you. Hi, Kim. Leah. Hi, Leah. I got you, too. Anyone else? Denise R. Denise R. I didn't. Charles I have H. you, Denise. Thank you. And I have you, Charles. Thank you. Okay, let's go with that particular line up there. Thank you so much, everyone, for your, for your kindness and for being so slow about getting your name out there. Appreciate that. I believe everyone else does too. And I have you, Nessa. Good morning, Julie. Would you begin? Hi. Good morning, Melanie. This is Julie R. Recovered compulsive overeater from California. And there is so much in these two paragraphs, but I want to focus on they took a drink a day or so before a date, an event, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests. 
you know, so many times before I knew what abstinence was and I was just quote unquote on another diet before I found OA and I would reward myself because I reached that goal because I was going to have one and then I would have that one and I would be, it was like an out of body experience where I was at a race and I mean, I was like an animal shoving food in my mouth, going into the bathroom, eating until I'm almost choking, putting chocolate in my pockets. And I was at a normal body weight, but yet I took that one bite. And it it goes to that one uh, sentence here. There are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving, which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than to continue to fight. I couldn't stop once I picked up. There was only three things that that would uh, make me stop. One, I ran out and I couldn't get any more. Two, I was interrupted and I couldn't let anybody see the ravenous animal that I become once I ingest my alcoholic foods, or three, when I literally would pass out because I was so sick, consuming 10, 20,000 calories at a setting. Those are the only three ways that I, yeah, I could stop eating once I ingested my binge foods. And, you know, to flip it around and, and to see how I am today, where not, yeah, I'm not ingesting my binge foods, my alcoholic foods, but I don't want them. I have total, total neutrality. And it's amazing that I can look back and see that person that was 300 pounds eating in bathrooms, eating out of garbages, eating instead of playing with my children to somebody who eats healthy food and pays attention to her children, pays attention to her employees. And that's only because of this program. But it's like any time, every time, I will ever ingest any of those alcoholic foods and or engage in some behaviors, I am going to make that supreme sacrifice, meaning nothing else matters but what is in my sights that I can gobble up. And if I gobble that up, I'm going to go into somebody's drawers at work and eat all of their food, which I have done that. So, yes, nothing matters once I take that bite. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. Dana, you're next. As your last initial, Dana K. Hi, good morning. This is Dana Kay, a grateful, newly recovered compulsive overeater from Missouri. Just this is such a wonderful gift and thank you for listening today and for your service. Um, I'm gonna focus at the beginning of the paragraphs that we read. Uh, I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. Um, I'm kind of a a how and a why kind of girl. And for me, these two paragraphs provide hope because it explains the insanity of why I can't solve this problem on my own and why I suffer from compulsive overeating. I always thought there was just something wrong with me that I could not um, stop once I had picked up the food, that there was something broken, deeply broken, that would not ever be fixable because I had so tried to fix it on my own. And honestly, I guess there was something wrong. Um, But I found out that um, I just thought that I would be always given to this craving, um, that it would rule the rest of my life, as Dr. Silkworth in this paragraph explains. The phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests. And I have experienced this untold number of times in my 
in my eating life, um, something happens to me when I put chocolate into my mouth. Something abnormal happens to not just my mind, which um, Dr. Silkworth is saying that it's not entirely a problem of mental control, but there's another problem here. And what it is for me is that it happens to my body that I want more and more. I just, I need that substance more than I need almost anything else. Even like this businessman um, was going to have a, a favorable business deal and he picked up the alcohol and he wasn't drinking to escape. He was trying to drink to overcome a craving beyond his mental control. And that's where, that's where I have been so many times that I am ruled in my own self by that phenomenon of craving. Just, I mean, to the point of um, sacrificing time with my family, which is vital, sacrificing my health, um, sacrificing my self-esteem and who I am, and that waking up every morning with that food hangover, that dull, achy, feeling physically, but also the the mental part that, um, oh my gosh, I did it again. I ate all that food and I just, I, you feel, I felt so defeated. And for me, um, beginning this program and getting into recovery is hope because the Dr. Silkworth is explaining why I have this problem and that um, there is a solution. And I have found that solution through a higher power whom I call God. And um, with that, I pass. Thank you, Dana Kay. Larry Kay, you're next. Good morning, Melanie. Thanks for your service. Larry Kay, a recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Um, I have a friend that I came into program with um, a number of years ago. Um, great guy. He's done very well in program. And... Um, he uh, he has two sisters, and <clears throat> one of his sisters he was he was closest with, and she had struggled with this disease just horribly, and she had seen you know some of the the, the, the trans his own transformation, and she had had the bypass surgery and tried so many different things, and um, ultimately he got a call. Um, they were going to take a cruise actually together, and he. Um, I just remember him telling me he looked so much forward to doing that with his sister so he could, you know, perhaps just share with her some of the things. She was interested in some of the things he was doing and knew just how well he was doing in program. He got a call. She made the supreme sacrifice. She uh, she died in this disease um, even after having the surgery and a couple years after she continued to eat and got bigger and bigger and sicker and sicker. And when he went down to identify the body, um, I remember because we were talking and he um, just how sad it was for him and, and, and to go into her home. And I, I remember him describing going into her car and seeing the open wrappers, the cellophane bags and the uneaten uh, donuts and the, all kinds of things and in her home and just how sad it was for him. He felt so terribly guilty in some ways and such remorse. Here was a young woman, you know, in her 30s with such promise. She was just such an amazing person. I never met her, but the way he described her was just um, incredible. What a kind and loving person. She, she was not drinking to escape. 
She was eating to overcome a craving beyond her mental control. She kept going back again and again. There was that, probably that, like me, that inward unmanageability, that spiritual malady, as long as we're blocked off from our creator, we're destined to return to that jumping off point. And you may, if you're lucky, not die when you get to that point, regardless of how sunny it is outside. And, you know, and to me, yet, you know, after that spiritual malady is overcome, you know, our condition, how grateful I am, our condition is put into remission. You know, the strange mental twist, that obsession of the mind is suspended, it's canceled out. Not so for her. She made the supreme sacrifice. And I'm always reminded when I read that about that person. I've met many that have um, given, made the supreme sacrifice. This disease is a cold-blooded killer. So grateful for this program. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Case. Harlan G., you're next. Is that me? I can. Good morning. No, okay, you, you call me? I did. Good morning. Okay, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Uh, I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Scottsdale, Arizona. Can I be heard, Melanie? You can, yep. Okay, Thanks. thank you. And thank you for your service, and thank you to Team Tuesday. I took decades of my life, and I flushed them down the toilet for this illness. I took every opportunity to have a good life and, and, and tried to kill it. Everything in my life was clouded by food. This disease is mind over matter. It doesn't mind killing me, and I don't matter. It says on page 98, burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts in God and clean house. Recovery is the most important thing in my life without exception. I hear people calling me every week, telling me how desperately they want me to sponsor them. When they get back from their cruise, they want to get started. Their daughter is graduating college. Their son is getting married. Their grandchildren are whatever, I don't know, getting bar mitzvah, whatever it is. And when that's over, they want to get started with the steps, and I laugh. I laugh, not at them. I'm not laughing at them. I am laughing because the respect that I have of the seriousness nature, the serious nature of this illness. There are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. The craving is stronger than my desire to live. That's how strong it is. The craving is stronger than my desire to live. Although I admit that it's injurious, I cannot, after time, tell the truth and the false. What does that mean? I know I'm killing myself, but I can't tell that this is an illness, and I can't, I can't come out of the fog by myself. There's only one thing, one thing that is going to save me from this, and that is a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. And for 18 years, I have not compulsively overeaten, and I have done so happily. When I was struggling in this illness and every day was a fight, a fight against the world and a fight against the food, 
I never saw another way out. These steps work. On page 88 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says it works. It really does. The only force stronger than the craving is the force of the recovery. No force that is of this earth is going to change one thing about my illness, but God can and will if he were sought. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan G. Kim G., you're next. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Oh, I have had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal, which was to be settled favorable, set on a certain date favorable to them, favorable. Things were going his way. Yet he took a drink or so prior to the date and the phenomena craving developed, and boom, boom, he was off to the races. And I have to tell you, one of the things that confused me for many years in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous is I was told I had this threefold illness. The big book is really clear we have a twofold illness. And I was told I had this emotional component. So what I thought was, well, if I can resolve my childhood issues, then I'm not going to want to eat. You know, if I can learn to be happy, then I'm not going to want to eat. If things will go my way, then I wouldn't need to eat. And here we're being told things were going favorable to him, and he still picked up. You know, one of the famous, famous, well, one of the common sayings in the rooms is hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And that's an emotional type of thing. And if that was really my problem, then that means when I wasn't hungry, I wouldn't eat. My experience is I do. That means when I'm not angry, when I'm in a good mood, I wouldn't eat. My experience is I still eat then. My experience is it was lonely. When I was in social situations, I ate, so that didn't work for me either. And tired, I could have a good night's sleep and have a really good binge. So by wasting time on this emotion... I was really confused because I could, get, I could get things to go my way. I've got a lot of willpower in many areas of my life. If you want to see that demonstrated, call someone today and ask them to go over Jim and Fred and more about alcoholism. Because Jim loses everything and he drinks. I get that. The guy breaks out with me. Of course I'm going to eat. But Fred has the best day. There's not a cloud on the horizon. And he still eats. And that's why I was baffled. The guy asked me out. I should be happy. And yet I'm still eating. You know, I don't know about you, but most, I think a lot of women like myself were professional bridesmaids in, in their 20s. And I would diet down, and I would get down and fit in that bridesmaid dress, and I would make that exception at the rehearsal dinner, and I would be binging until that wedding. And I couldn't understand it because I made it. I made it into that dress, and yet I would still continue to binge. So I can't arrange my life in such a way that I'm not going to want to eat. And I just want to share some hope on this, on this line right now. We've been on the, on, on the line for about four and a half years. If you go back in those archives, you're going to hear the same voices. You're going to hear the people you heard today, you're going to hear sharing from four years ago. That shows hope. That shows possibility. I don't know about you, but locally in my area, I don't hear the same voices or see the same faces for more than six to eight months. The people go back into the disease over and over and over. If you want to escape, like many of us have escaped for many years, call us, grab our hands, do the steps, recover, and carry that message. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Leah S. Thank you. Thank you. This is Leah S., a recovered compulsive overreader. Um, 
I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. Okay, so they're telling me that there are people around there who are capable of successfully doing things and we're not really uh, so bad. The, um, uh, we we are where we can excel in in stuff and 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 like they are saying, we, you know, um, we have prepared for business deals. And then they go on and say, the phenomenon of craving on page XXVIII. Um, the sensation is so elusive that it is injurious. And so what happens is that for no reason at all, before closing a business deal, in other words, before becoming successful and continuing with my success, I, I just go and ruin it. So what is the answer over here? I literally ruin it. On page 37, they, they talk about the jaywalker. What is he doing? Is, is he really, really crazy? And, and this book, these steps give me a solution. They give me a solution that is, that is so great and so powerful. On page 45, you just, you just have to continue with these steps and impl implement them into your own life. And that way, you can, you can continue with your success. You can continue to, to strive to be a better person. You can continue to get out of this rut. You have to follow the, the, the steps and, and have that higher power within you. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Leah S. Denise R., you're next. Hi, this is Denise. I'm uh, from New Jersey and um, compulsive overeater. And um, I'm really grateful to be on this call this morning. I um, <clears throat> I was really struck by the last paragraph. There are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving, which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. And in my own life, I'm... I've been in the rooms a long time, but I've not found anything until recently like the big book to help me recover. And it's it's interesting. I heard someone else speaking about how, you know, there's so much that goes around in the rooms and all different kinds of, of talk. And it's very difficult to find uh, a um, a place to really, really get into this except on the vision for you or, you know, in a specific big book study like this. And uh, I'm grateful that I've, I'm able to be a part of this today um, because the, making the supreme sacrifice has been what I've been doing. It's not, not, not that I, you know, I've been dying one bite at a time. I haven't been able to get God completely into my heart enough maybe it's because my brain has been blocking me because I'm in such a fog you know I've been in the fog I've been in the food I've been in the in the 
phenomenon of craving, which I know in my head, but I haven't been able to get it into my heart. So that's all I have to say today. I'm new to this meeting, um, speaking. It's it's a little daunting for me, but um, I've been told I have to do it, so I'm going to do it. And um, I really appreciate being on this call. Thank you. Thank you, Denise R. Charles H., you're next. Thank you, Melissa. Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, I just got to share something. Um, you know, at, at the uh, birthday party, you know, in the halls all, all over, I kept hearing, vision for you, what's what's that? that? That's all I heard all weekend. And um, it was just amazing. It was like, it was like, you know, being in a dark cave with like, you know, 802 two people and, 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 and a, a glimmer of light came in and a voice deep in the crowd said, vision for you. What's that? Oh, the light. <laughs> so uh, let me get back to the text. So um, the word control jumped out at me. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, and, and, and in the text. In the doc's opinion, um, the phrase phenomenon of craving is, is in there five times. My ears perk up when I when I he- heard this this morning. Um, men that make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. And I shared at a hundred pounders meeting um prior to the birthday party in LA and I was like, I know the fourth step is hard. It's 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 real hard. That's why we gotta do it fast. Because this is something beyond my mental control. I'm going to binge eventually. I got to continue to fight. I got to continue to fight for my marriage. Because my wife was like, yo, you know what? You're cheating on me with Overeaters Anonymous. I got to continue to fight for my marriage. I got to continue to fight for my sanity. So I had to, oh, man, I had to do some spiritual surgery. But I can't, I wouldn't be, oh, I was fighting for my life. I was fighting for my self-will. I was fighting to be the principal. I was fighting for all that stuff. And the things I was fighting for was killing me. And it wasn't even the first fight. But we're talking about physical here. You know, if you think people ain't dying in Overeaters Anonymous, they are. And and I'm going to kabash uh, this, all this. You know what? You know why people uh, trample each other on the line to share? Because they've seen the light. They've seen the light. This is life-saving, man. This is a life-saving message because something is going to go on in your life that you're going to want to make that supreme sacrifice. We see it every day. We see it every day. So you know what? I say that to, to those that um, thought like I did before, prior to Thursday, three things, recover, 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 and then jump on the line, and when – when they announce two or three weeks before the next calendar, get recovered and do something about it. Stop bitching and complaining about all the same stuff people are sharing. Recover and be encouraged to be one of those people that at the lion at the buffalo kill and get their three minute bite, their three minute spiritual meal. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you, Charles H. Nessa R. Hi, thank you, Melanie. I'm impressed that you uh, you heard me. Um, this is Nessa R. Recovered in Toronto, Canada. 
uh, a craving beyond their mental control. Um, you know, I, I've always known, I've always known that when it ca- when it comes to food, I have never, I have never processed. Um, my mind never processes things the way other people's minds do. And so I knew intuitively that there was something wrong with the way I thought. But I never realized that there was a bodily component to my, to my illness. And when I came into Overeaters Anonymous 14 years ago, I was told, you know, that I had a disease that was physical, mental, and spiritual. And that's where it ended. Um, I didn't understand... Um, why it was physical, mental, or spiritual. I didn't know anything else. And, of course, I never read the doctor's opinion. Um, and the doctor's opinion is extremely important because it tells me, you know, what is the nature of my disease. It tells me what is my problem. And my problem starts with that craving beyond the mental control. So for years, um, I was in the rooms of OA without reading uh, the doctor's opinion, and I thought that the powerlessness mentioned in step one related to the fact that I ate like a bottomless barrel, um, and I didn't know, uh, like this phrase states, the reason why I eat is because I have a biological mandate to eat when I have an allergenic substance inside my body. And um, I didn't understand as a result why abstinence was so important. And, um, you know, there's literature in a way that actually says you can work the steps even though you're not abstinent. And I tried that, and it didn't work. I never got abstinent working the steps, and I couldn't because I kept eating the, the, the foods and the ingredients that triggered me. And, of course, I was subject to this craving beyond any mental control. And I didn't know that until I, um, I was taken through the big book properly, starting with this doctor's opinion, learning about the allergy of the body, which tells me that abstinence is a prerequisite because it is the only thing. It is the only thing that will arrest the phenomenon of craving. The, the, the steps will not help me arrest the phenomenon of craving. The, the steps will help me with the mental obsession, but the beginning is... Um, the abstinence and get rid of this, this allergy. And that was such a revelation to me. And of course, when I attained an entire abstinence, when I understood the significance of this, you know, um, I knew exactly what I had to do. I had to put my foot down entirely and then work the steps and then work the steps. And that's, that's how I recovered. Um, and it's been five years. I haven't found the need to, uh, to eat compulsively. And it's because I understood the phenomenon of craving, the craving beyond any mental control that can only be controlled through abstinence. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Nessa R. I'm going to open it up for a few more people to share on this paragraph. Who would like to share? Well, Melissa M. Melissa M. Melissa T. Melissa W. Kara W. Okay. I, just one second. I have a a list here already going, and I'm going to tell you who I have so far. And I have Du L, Melissa C, Monica T, Sarah W, and I can take two more. Leah M. Vasa O and Leah M. That's all I can take probably for this hour. Thank you so much. Starting with Du L. Thank you. Good morning. This is uh, Du L, uh, recovered compulsive overeater from New York, and 
I absolutely love this paragraph. Um, it says, you know, we don't believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. So mental control should not be confused with mental obsession in this case. Mental control is the willpower, the self-sufficiency, and the self-determination that makes me think that I can control um, my ingesting certain binge foods. And it says, no, you know, once I ingest it, everything goes out the window. You know, I make the supreme sacrifice. And the supreme sacrifice is not only committing suicide. It is also putting, prioritizing the food, the alcohol, the drugs, you know, over family, over friends, over jobs, over anything. And it gave you that example, you know, of, of, of this person making the, the ultimate sacrifice because they missed their appointment, you know, and their life went to crap. You know, and I got to say, this disease comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It, it steals your peace of mind. It steals your joy. It steals your tranquility. It wants to destroy your relationships with God. It wants to destroy your relationships with others. And it wants to destroy your relationship with yourself. And, and so, you know, it says here, making the supreme sacrifice. If you think that this disease will not kill you dead, I got news for you. I, I went to the OA birthday I spent hours with these parents who lost their son to death because the kid committed suicide. He was only 20 years old. I heard another person who lost a 25-year-old, you know, because she ate herself to death. She was 25, and she had a heart attack. She died. You know, this morning I heard another young person who committed suicide, you know, because he couldn't deal with with. with, with with what was happening with him with his addiction. You know, if you think this is just about older people or young people, no, this is about everybody, you know. And, and you know, who's left with the brunt? The, the brunt is the family, the family who suffers, you know. And so my encouragement is for you to recover, 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 because then you can help families. You can help those that you're hurting by this disease, you know, including yourself. You know, and so um, that's what this book is all about. This book is about finding a way out, an escape, and it's not through our self-will, our self-determination. We can't do it. That's why we need help, and the book is here to show us exactly, precisely how to do that, and I encourage you to do that if you're yet not recovered. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Do L. Melissa C., Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, oh, gosh, I'm so, I'm just so excited. I'm so, I just love getting on the line and sharing here. And I have to say that there was a piece of me that was feeling uncomfortable. Maybe I'm taking more than my fair share, you know, thinking um, like I felt at a buffet when I would look at my plate afterwards and say, oh, my God, I did it again. I took more than anyone else. And, um you know, but that's not the same thing here. I'm excited to share because this is of paramount importance to me, you know, whereas the food before was of paramount importance to me. And um, I'm grateful to hear the same messages from the same people because there's hope that this is the long-term deal. This isn't a quick fix, bandage, get thin, and you're gone. You know, this is this is the duration. And, you know, so I'm thinking about the supreme you know, sacrifices that I made and how, um, yeah, I would find myself at, 
beautiful family functions um, eating in the bathroom, you know, and it wasn't that I didn't want to be there. I really wanted to be there. It was that I put something on my plate um, at the cocktail hour, and all bets were off. The food, you know, I took the food, and then the food took me. And so I was filled with embarrassment and shame about the amount I was putting on my plate then, but there was nothing I could do about it. You know, I was, it was beyond my mental um, control. And there are many things in my life that I've been able to have some um, mental strength and control over, but if I put the food in my body, that owns me. And and I am once again, um, you know, eating in the bathroom, hiding in my bedroom, throwing garbage out, you know, the window of my car, um, that's where the disease takes me. And I'm just so grateful, you know, today that I know that. And if the answer means getting up on this line and scrambling for my spot, then, then that's what I'm willing to do. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Monica T. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. So here we are. We are studying the doctor's opinion. And Dr. Silkworth has given us some very important information in this paragraph. And he says, I don't hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. So now in this paragraph, he's trying to make something very, very clear to me. That, this, that there is a physical component to this disease that I have. So he's talking about men who have put the alcohol down. They are not drinking. Things are going well. Things are going very darn well for them. And then he doesn't tell us why, but for some reason or other they pick up, and I believe there's a, no, the mental obsession, and he's... It has come in for some reason or other, and their head has said, you know, this is the best idea you had all day to pick up a drink. But that's not what he's focusing on here. He says they take a drink, and the phenomenon of craving, that intensely wanting craving, becomes so powerful. It became paramount to all other interests so that they forget everything else. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. He is talking about what biologically, physically happens to me, Monica, a real compulsive overeater, if I take a bite of that carrot cake. I take one bite and I'm going to set off that allergy. That, and I'm going to get this abnormal reaction called craving. And at that point, when I've set that off, I'm not eating because I'm ticked off at you. I'm eating because I physically have to. This craving is so intense that the only thing I can do is eat. And I will eat and binge my brains out. I have set off that physical allergy. So that's why it's so, so important that I had to put down my binge foods because if I start them, I cannot stop. And then he talks about the, the supreme sacrifice. Well, you know what? And I take this from somebody else. Compulsive overeater is suicide on a layaway plant. And with that, I pass. 
Thank you, Monica T. Vasa O. Star one, Vasa O. Well, let's move on in light of time to Sarah W. Then, please. Thank you for your service, Melanie. Uh, this is Sarah W. Grateful, recovered, compulsive of reader. Um, you know, the, the thought that comes into my mind is that the honesty that we have to have in looking at our binge foods. Uh, for me, so often uh, throughout the years of my recovery, I thought, well, this is a healthy food. You know, somehow I should be able to do this. I mean, truly healthy. And I just could not. And I think the honesty has to come through in bits and pieces for some of us. And it's not about good or bad. And and the other thing I think to myself is, um, for me, uh, I sabotage myself constantly. Uh, you know, I was afraid of success and afraid of failure. So in the midst of the good things, I thought, you know what, I don't deserve this. And I, I sabotaged myself. I couldn't, I couldn't stand the thought that either I would succeed or fail. I was, I was so fear-based. So, um, yes, it's beyond my mental control, but my understanding of the craving is it's set up by uh, the ignition of me taking in the substance, and it is not set off before that. That is the mental obsession that sets me off before that, unless I've been constantly eating. I'm so grateful for the program. And the last thing I want to say is there is so much hope. We have to believe in the hope that this recovery program, this 12-step program can work for us. And it has worked for me, and I'm very grateful. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Leah M. Thank you, Melanie. The phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests. You know, this is actually taken from Bill Wilson's history, where he had an opportunity here in New Jersey uh, to have a contract signed. Uh, It was going to be just a big, great opportunity for him. But he had to stay sober. He had to stay sober. And the men gathered at night in a hotel room, and they're passing around Jersey Lightning, Applejack whiskey, and uh, no thank you, no thank you. And, you know, Bill eventually caves, takes a drink, and, uh, you know, three days later, he rears his head again. Uh, This speaks to the... Um, importance of understanding the allergy of the body. I had to get an education, an understanding, and an appreciation for the allergy of the body and how critical it was since uh, I couldn't begin implementing the steps without being food sober. So I had to understand, and, and I got that understanding through this text, through someone in whom the problem had been solved, and through my own personal history. When I ate certain foods, I could not control the amount of food I ate. Something happened to me. When I put those foods into my body, I would develop an insatiable appetite for more of those substances. I was was biologically mandated. Once I began to eat more of those substances, I would eat more and more and more and more. I never felt you know, satiated, the feeling intensified. Now, the day came where I didn't want to eat for fun anymore, 
so to speak. I only wanted to eat a little bit. I didn't want to binge my brains out. I just wanted a taste. And I learned mighty quickly from my experience that any amount of that substance triggers that phenomenon of craving. That I am biologically mandated, that is the way I am wired, and I had to have an appreciation for that. I had to stop my craving, and the only way to stop the craving is to stop eating the foods that cause that craving. And that meant I had to abstain from my individual binge foods, abstain from my individual binge ingredients, and abstain from my individual binge eating behaviors. Because this disease wore me out. I got to the point where I was eating for necessity. I was experiencing a noticeable decrease in my ability to tolerate or handle my eating. And my body and my mind were getting worn out. The consequences were becoming greater. And the disease wore me out to the point where my recovery began with a suicidal attempt. Because I, I could not stand the way I was living, and I could not find a way out until someone cracked open this text and brought it to life to me. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Leah M. I'd like to cycle back around to see if Asa O is still there and able to unmute. Yes, I am. I'm here, Melanie. Hi, thank you, Vasa. You have a couple of minutes. Thank you so much, and good morning, everyone. I'm Vasa, grateful recover compulsive eater, calling from... Foxborough, Massachusetts. Oh, no, I, I'm in Florida. <laughs> Anyways, uh, educated. I was educated when I came to Overeaters Anonymous. I'm so grateful I found out what was wrong with me. I was having relationship with food. I had love affair with food. That was my pornography. It was just, it was so funny when this woman shared at one of the meetings. <clears throat> And uh, it was my, yeah, it was my pornography. I looked at the recipes. I lost it. I experimented with food. I baked. I cut down sugars. I did this and that. I, I, I did every, everything to, you know, to lose the weight. And nothing, nothing working was getting progressively worse, you know, for me. I had, uh, and then coming to the doc, to this, the big book, I found out to the, a doctor's opinion about the allergy, the disease, uh, the mental obsession, the craving. I had no problem admitting I had all those, uh, all those symptoms, and nobody had to convince me that I was any different than I was. I'm just so grateful. And for me, yeah, I, I remember reading this part in the doctor's opinion. More often than not, it is in, imperative that man's blame be cleared before he's approached as he has been then a better chance of understanding, accepting what we have to offer. And that was the first thing I needed to do. I needed to put those alcoholic things down that I was putting in my body that set up the craving and went to the mental obsession. And I I remember saying, how am I going to live for the rest of my life with those, with not having those foods. I stopped cold turkey, and believe me, I was experiencing the body withdrawal, like the crawlies that the alcoholic or the drug addicts experience. And I remember, I said, I'm going to just die. And, you know, I haven't died. I just kept coming to the program, kept on praying to God, 
and just taking one step at a time. But that was the first thing for me to do, get my abstinence and then work the rest of the steps the way they laid out because my mind is now it's much more clearer and I can understand. I don't have the fog in my mind, in my brain. So thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. And thank you to everyone who has shared today. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We'll now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Lisa H. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you, Melanie. Lisa C. uh, recovered in Tennessee. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.